you know it's going to be a good Sunday when your pastor shows up on time for his own sermon. I'm excited. If you don't know uh, what I'm talking about or you're not laughing, it's because you were not here during the second service last week where I was 31 seconds late to my own sermon. 21 years of ministry, I've never done that before. You're welcome. First time for everything. That's how comfortable I am with you guys. I just feel like I can be late to my own sermons. Uh, speaking of time, Thursday, my wife Stacy and I celebrated 15 years of marriage together. It was an incredible, yes, yeah. Praise God for her. It's also a day that I like to call uh, the best decision of her life this side of heaven. And so we got married 15 years ago, November 16th. And as we reflected over the 15 years we've had together, we're forced to ask this question. What would happen if we had never made the decision to get married? What if I had never given her the invitation to marry me? I mean, I think all the way back to that invitation, and it was a unique invitation. She had, the day after we went on our very first date, moved to Austin, Texas, where Stacy became an occupational therapist and a live-in nanny for four-year-old triplets with autism, each child on the spectrum of autism at different levels. We spent our time on the phone. This is before we had unlimited talk text. So one of our cell phone bills was actually $1,300. Yes, yeah, you, you say, ooh, I said, ah, like, it was bad. It, I think we spent more time paying that off than we did on the phone. Uh, we, we had a long distance relationship. And I'll never forget that over the, the, the time we dated long distance, a friend of mine, Michael Hall, was a director at a ministry in town where I was working at the time, and he and I became super close friends. He was a guy who spoke into my life and invested in our ministry. We did a lot of life and ministry together, but over time, he got so tired of hearing me talk about this incredible, hot, gorgeous, amazing, wonderful woman that I'll never forget one lunch we had in September. He called me Drew. He's from Texas, and apparently adding the A and the N to the beginning of my name was too much, so he just shortened it, hyphenated it to Drew. We're at lunch one day, and he says, hey, Drew, I'll tell you what. If you stop talking about this girl and take your happy butt to Texas to ask her to marry you, I'll buy the plane ticket round trip. And I said, and I quote, you buy the plane ticket, I'll ask her to marry me. The next day, I showed up at Michael's office just to check in. He was gone, but on his desk was a sticky note that just said Drew on it, and it was round trip ticket to Austin, to actually to San Antonio, Texas, for two weeks from then. So I remember calling Stacy and I said, hey, what are you doing in two weeks? I'm thinking about taking a trip out to Texas. And so she worked with the, the family that she was living in and, and working with their kids and arranged for me to fly out there. Long story short, I fly into San Antonio, Texas at the beginning of September. I'd never been to Texas. I know everything is bigger in Texas, but I didn't know everything was hotter in Texas. And so I showed up wearing long jeans, an undershirt, a long sleeve button down shirt, and as I stepped off the plane, it was 100 degrees with 98% humidity. And within five minutes, my light blue jeans were dark blue jeans because they were bleeding sweat through them. And no exaggeration, within five minutes, my undershirt was, I was just absolutely drenched. So the first place we went after Stacy picked me up at the airport was to the hotel so that I could change into some appropriate clothes for Texas, uh, the one pair of shorts that I brought. From there, we went to the river. Riverwalk, downtown San Antonio. And we walked, and we walked, and we walked around the Riverwalk. I can't tell you, I have a great memory, and I cannot tell you what we talked about, because I had one purpose for being there. We got to this, I think it was Italian, restaurant, and we sat down, and there, one of the few times in my life, I had a script, and I read her a proposal, an invitation to be my wife. And she said, yes. She accepted the invitation, she flew home, and six weeks later, we got married. From the day that I met her to the day that we got married was five and a half months, praise God. She said yes, and is still with me today. I am better for her accepting that invitation. But I think about the power of that in one invitation. I think about the significance in my life. The reality is, can we all agree that without her, I wouldn't have six kids? <laughs> without Stacy, I wouldn't be the man that I am today, refined well-spoken, <laughs> gentle. <laughs> Without Stacy, it's possible that I wouldn't be standing here before you today. I wouldn't be the pastor of Country Bible Church because 
maybe the single greatest asset that God has given me in ministry isn't my leadership and it isn't my experience and it isn't my education or my ability to communicate. But I believe, and I say this with all my heart, that the greatest asset that I have, which allows me to be the pastor and the person that God has called me to be, is that he has blessed me with an incredible partner, friend, and wife in Stacy. She is my biggest cheerleader, my biggest fan, and my best critic to help me stay grounded and keep me composed as we do this thing called life and ministry together. And I would not be able to be your pastor without Stacy doing what she does. So the power of one invitation is significant. Without her having said yes to my invitation to marry me, we arguably wouldn't be having this conversation today. And I want to talk to you today about that, the power of one invitation. In fact, that's, that's what we're going to cover today as we pick up in week three of our Power of One series. Let me invite you right now to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning or you need a Bible, let me invite you to raise your hand and one of our ushers would be thrilled to bring you a Bible. These Bibles are yours to keep. This is a gift from us to you. We stress, we strive, we work hard to make sure that everybody has the Bible in their hands. And this is a great way for you to mark it up and take notes and circle and write down your observations and your questions, but a great way to follow along. Turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you're looking for Luke, you can find it either at the table of contents at the front or turn about two-thirds of the way through your Bible and you'll find it pretty close. It's the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're in week three of our Power of One series. And we started the Power of One series really to kind of uh, dispel a myth, to address a, 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 something that is a misnomer. In a culture and society, a time, an age that we're living in where bigger is better and more means more success, I wanted to argue then that I believe that the power of one has the potential to be the most powerful number around. That when you encounter the one true living God, through the one written word of God, through a one counter with Jesus, it has the power to change everything. And in week one, we looked at the power of one moment. We addressed a, a man, a demon-possessed man, who had been filled with uh, demons, so many that they called him legion. A man that had lived among the grave tomb, the tombs in the graveyard because he had been excommunicated and exiled from his own community. A man that had lived naked, a shameful life. A man that was desperate for answers and had cut himself and would go shrieking, looking for help, looking for answers, searching for anything. When Jesus shows up on the scene and steps into the man's circumstances and steps into the man's life, one moment had the power to change everything in that man's life. In week two, last week, we looked at the power of one prayer. We addressed what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We talked about how when it comes to Religion, it's all about relationship over religion and that Jesus' disciples came and they said, hey, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. They, along with others, were looking for the recipe and the ingredients for success. They wanted to throw it all in there together and make sure that they had it all right. And Jesus took their request and he responded to their request by flipping it upside down, shaking it all around and laying it out for them. A prayer that would change the trajectory of their life. That they would go from religion and into a relationship with Papa God. That they would go from self-dependency on their own strength into soul sufficiency, relying on the power and the strength of God. That it would change their perspective and one prayer would fundamentally change the trajectory of their life. And today, I want to start by asking you this question. What results can come at one invitation? What can result from one invitation? That's what we're going to talk through today together. As we do, let's begin with a, a word of prayer. Father, I pray right now that you would come, that you would move, that you would have your will in our lives. Father, I surrender my will for your way, my best laid plans for your purpose. Father, I pray that as we spend these next few moments together, that you'd redeem them for your glory, for your good. Use them to raise up fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Meet us where we're at and take us where you want us to go. Father, I invite you to change the composition of our hearts and may your word, your living word, become alive in us. 
I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts would be holy to you, God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter five is where we're gonna be today. Luke five, verses 16 through 27. I'm sorry, 17 through 26. And we are gonna spend a few minutes investigating a story that I'll argue most of you here are familiar with, if, at least if you've grown up in church. Many of you probably read this story uh, as a child or you heard this story or maybe it was taught to you using flannel graph. If you're uh, too young for flannel graph, then maybe you learn this using a transparency and an overhead with an overhead pin and a projector. But at some point along the way, if you've grown up within church, it's likely that you've been introduced to the story that we're about to read. But I wanna propose to you this morning that this story has a whole lot more to do with, with, with uh, who we are in Christ and what can happen at one invitation than just a, a healing. This story is about a, a paralyzed man and how God, how Jesus meets him where he's at and changes his life. But we're going to look at several different things. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump in together right at the, the front here. Read chapter 5 verses 17 through 26. And I'm going to stop along the way and I'm going to share some insights. I'm going to give us some context and culture. Because I say all the time, and I believe it, that the more we understand context and culture, the better we are able to apply it to our lives. So together, let's read Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. One day, one day, I want to stop and just tell you right away that that jumps off of the page at me. Can you imagine what my devotion life is like? I, I, I get into this and I read this, and historically... Throughout the Bible, whenever you read one day, it's a transitional statement. It lets us know that we're changing scenes, that that was last week's episode, and we're now stepping into a new episode. Or if you're thinking about a sitcom or a show, it was last week on Chicago Fire, and it gives you like the whatever, 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 and then it leads into this new episode. Well, this, this is more than just a transitional statement. You see, I believe that one day doesn't have to just lead into transition of scenes, but when you consider one day and the power of one day, that it doesn't matter what happened yesterday, and we shouldn't concern ourselves with what might happen tomorrow, because we can't change what happened yesterday, and we have no control over what might happen tomorrow. But today, in this moment, this might be the one day where you encounter Jesus and your life is changed forever. This might be the day, the one day, where you experience freedom from addiction. Today might be the one day where that marriage that you've been desperately hoping would come back together and would be restored, that Jesus might just show up in a mighty way and restore your marriage. Today might be the one day that you move from, 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 from sickness and in health. Today might be the one day where you go from a broken relationship into a restored, renewed relationship. Today might be the one day where you move from religion and into a right understanding of Jesus and into a relationship with him. So I believe that it is much more than just a transitional statement that sets apart one scene into the next and that one day has the power to change eternity. Today, today you're here and today might just be your one day. Today might be the day where you stop worrying about what happened yesterday. And you don't concern yourself with what might happen tomorrow. But you invite Jesus into this moment, into this one day, and allow him to change your eternity and your life forever. I think that's what you're going to learn here, what we're going to see together. One day, while Jesus was teaching, and Jesus often taught, and he taught in a variety of ways. He taught in a variety of cultures and settings. He taught from boats. He taught from shorelines. He taught from the side of mountains. Jesus taught in villages and towns. He taught in synagogues. He taught as he walked. And what you're going to learn today is Jesus would even go into the home of those in cities, prominent cities, and would teach from homes. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. There are three different sects of Judaism at this time. There are the Pharisees, there are the Sadducees, and there are the Essenes. The teachers of religious law were the scribes. They were the experts in the Mosaic law, and they would partner often with the, the Pharisees to ensure that everybody was following the rules of the game, the regulations of the religion, if you will. So here, as a church service is going on, you have got some religious people that are there observing, not too close, they don't want to get too close to the fire, 
They're at a distance, but they're close enough where they can keep an eye on what's going on and make sure that they're following the rules of the game. Make sure that they're checking the boxes of their religion. But they don't want to be too close to the fire because they might be associated with it and that might give them a bad rep. And so here, you've got these Pharisees and these scribes. And I love, I love that Luke intentionally puts this next phrase into his thought. It says here, it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. He's basically saying, look, people are showing up from everywhere. This pretty much covers all of Asia Minor. It's a hodgepodge, and he points out that even these religious leaders have shown up because they want to see what this rabbi Jesus is all about. And it says here, the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, church, that this is my prayer every single moment on Sunday. This is my prayer. This was my prayer this morning before I came in. Arguably, this was the prayer that kept me 31 seconds late last week. That the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would show up, would be evident and realized in our church, in our lives, in our ministry. Because without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, this gathering is little more than a social get-together. And I'm not interested. When I pull in in my big red, go big red Nebraska Huskers truck at 5.30 on Sunday morning, I drive from corner to corner to corner to corner for two reasons. Number one, because I have a truck and I can drive where I want. And number two, I drive from corner to corner to corner to corner praying this prayer. Holy Spirit, you are invited. You are invited to come in power and be here in presence. That you would meet us where we're at and take us where you want us to go. I submit my best laid plans for your purpose. And I pray that the dynamo pneuma, the power of the Holy Spirit, would be present. Because it is only in the power as in the presence of the Holy Spirit that the hearts of man, the composition of our hearts can be changed. Amen. That's why we do what we do. And that is the cry of my heart. And that is my prayer that you won't hear my words, but you'll receive the words of the living God. That's why when we pray, we pray that the word of God might become active and alive and written in our hearts today. I'm not interested in you taking down what I say. I'm interested in you opening up your Bibles, following along as we go and highlighting what Jesus says. What the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his divine intervention, through his illuminating our hearts and our minds and drawing our attentions to, to him and his word. That is my prayer. That was the prayer of Jesus. And that is what was going on. Verse 18, some men, it says, came uh, carrying a paralyzed man. If you want, you could cross-reference this story with Mark's account in Mark chapter 2, specifically verse 3, same story. But Mark gives a couple more details. He says that some men actually was four men. So four men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. That word paralyzed in the original language means palsy. Palsy is an inability to utilize your limbs. So we can go ahead and assume then that this man was probably a quadriplegic. He had no use of his arms or his legs, his limbs, his outer extremities did not function. He may have had the use of his neck, but he had to rely entirely and completely on his family and his friends to care for his every need. And he came, it says, with a sleeping mat. A sleeping mat then would be what you and I might liken to a stretcher today. It was a, a piece of cloth that would have been stretched out and would have been sewn between two long, sturdy branches that would have been used to transport this man from location to location. It was his lifeline. It was his mobility. It was his transportation. And so it says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried, would you circle that word tried? They tried, I mean, they gave a college try, a best effort to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So many people have so many good ideas and best laid plans, but when they come up against opposition, they quickly become discouraged and they move on. Well, I wanted to bring him before Jesus. I thought Jesus might help, but the crowd's too big. I can't get to him. So what do you think? Buffalo Wild Wings? Yeah, let's go. Because we can see all the games, and you get the most amazing wings and the fried pickles. 
If you haven't had the fried pickles with the, the dipping sauce, you're missing out. It's a little bit of heaven. And you eat enough, you're going to go to heaven sooner. <laughs> I mean, we gave our best effort, right? We allowed discouragement to keep us from the divine. We allowed discouragement to keep us from the divine. How many of you know that Satan and his demons are in the business of discouragement? That if we show up, we have good intentions. We have God's idea in mind. We have good intentions. We, uh, but when we come up against some, some pressure, we come up against some, 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 some distractions, some things that are barriers that are keeping us from where we believe God's calling us to go, that we get overcome with this overwhelming sense of discouragement, and then we walk around with this pouty attitude. Well, I tried. I gave it a good college effort. Too many people. I guess I'll try again. Hey, I was hoping you'd get healed, but maybe next time. Sorry, bud. Listen to their response. Listen to what they do. These are the kinds of friends I need in my life. It says that when they got there, they tried to make him go inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the obstacle, because of the crowd. So what did they do? They went up. They put their head up and they went up. It says they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Can I just encourage us for a moment to take off our Sunday school glasses and to put on our glasses of culture and context? Maybe you're like me and you read this with hindsight. You know this man's going to get healed. You know he's going to encounter Jesus and his life's going to be changed forever. You know the Pharisees are going to gripe about something because they gripe about something no matter what it is. You know something is about to go down here, right? And so we read this with our Sunday school glasses as though it's no big deal. But if you put it in context and culture, it's a big deal. I mean, look at this. You got a crowd of people. You got a paralyzed man. You got his four friends. They're standing there. The crowd is so large because of the church service. I mean, Jesus is a circuit riding preacher. People are coming to hear this tent revival, and there's a lot of amens and hallelujahs and preacher, preacher, and people are getting excited, and they want to get to Jesus, but they can't get to Jesus. So they look around, and they go to the side of the building where there's a set of stairs, or it's actually a ladder. Now, we read this as a set of stairs like this, kind of where there's an eight to six pitch, where, where, where there's a tread that you walk up, and it's kind of comfortable. At best, you're going to go up at a 30-degree angle. No, this was a ladder that was a few sticks woven together with some twine at best that would have been put up on a roof. And, and, and this man, as they go around with this man, people are standing there. And I, don't, I just don't see them going, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to raise that guy up on the roof. And oh, you know what they're going to do is, I bet they're going to dig a hole in the roof. And then, oh, look at that. Jesus is preaching in there. Yep, they're lowering him down. Oh, that's awesome. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Right in the middle of the worship service, they're, they're lowering him down. Oh, yeah, now he's in front of Jesus. Oh, guys, guys, watch this. He's going to heal him. He's going to heal him. And, and he's going to forgive their sins. Oh, thank you, God. Hallelujah. No. In context, as there's a group of people, you know there's some junior high Jewish boys in the junior high youth group that are not paying attention in big church because they're used to little church. And they, and, they, and they walk around, they're like, yo, whoa, 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 look at that. They duct tape that dude to a stretcher and they're hauling his butt up on the roof. Awkward. <laughs> and think about it. Put yourself in the paralyzed guy's shoes. You get there, maybe against your own desire, maybe against your own will. Your friends have drug you there, and they get there, and you can't get in because the crowd's so big. So they start duct taping you because duct tape fixes everything. They duct tape you to the mat, and, 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 and you just think this guy's sitting there laying on his mat going, oh yeah, this is normal behavior. You're going to drag me up on a roof, and you're going to cut a hole in the roof, and you're going to lower me down in front of Jesus. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of that myself. No, he's going to say... What are you doing? You cannot interrupt. Jesus is preaching. There's church going on. You cannot make me perpendicular, parallel with the building, and drag me up, bouncing me off the side of the house. Drag me up. What are you doing? And if this man's friends are anything like my friends, you know what they're going to say? What are you going to do? Walk away? They drag this man up. One guy climbs the ladder. He gets up. He says, toss me the rope. They throw him the rope. 
One guy on each end and the guy at the bottom start feeding this man up. And they get there. And as Jesus is preaching, and it's good preaching. It's Holy Spirit revival preaching. It's amens. It's hallelujahs. It's interactive. It's good. They don't just make a little people and say, what's up, Jesus? It says they started tearing whole tiles off of the roof. Tiles then were made out of mud and dung with hay. And there would have been these wood trusses that would have had these tiles laid on top. And they would have been interwoven with more hay, keeping it together. As Jesus is preaching in the middle of church, the house is packed. It's elbow to elbow. There's no room to move. You hope that nobody had burritos the night before. You're standing there. It is growing. And people are outside and they're fighting to look and see. You're waiting for somebody to start crowd surfing. I mean, it is packed. The place is packed. These guys start pulling and their dust particles start falling down and hay starts floating down. Chunks of dung are falling to the ground where Jesus is preaching. And now this man is lowered down in front of Jesus and in our Sunday school glasses, we know he's about to get healed and something cool is going to happen. But what do you think this man is saying as he's being lowered down in front of everybody before Jesus? Hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> Big gulps, huh? <laughs> yeah. No. He's scared. Says, I mean, what do, you, what do you do? This isn't normal behavior. Can we all agree right now that if somebody started digging a hole, like the SWAT team just started coming down in church right before us and be like, what's up, pastor? That that's a little abnormal. That doesn't happen. Although under my leadership, we've kind of become used to abnormal. So maybe you wouldn't think anything of it. Nobody thought anything of it last week and I was late to church. Oh, it's just Andrew. You were all waiting for the punchline. There was none. This man is lowered down in front of an entire crowd of people in the middle of church. Now that we've taken our Sunday school glasses off, we understand that this is not typical. This man was invited to be there by his friends. And we don't know. I mean, we can guess and we can assume, but he might not even want to be there. His friends may have forced him. But look at what Jesus says in verse 20. Lean into this, verse 20. Seeing their faith, seeing the four men's faith, seeing the friends of the paralyzed man's faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. There are two things that we would be remiss if we did not address, and the first is this. I said it to you week one, and I'm going to say it again. This man is lowered down by his four friends. Jesus looks up at them, and he says, because of your faith. He's healed. His heart is healed. Your sins are forgiven. I said at week one that the power of one moment, the power of your moment may be the moment that God uses to change the moment for somebody else and their eternity. This man would have had no other way to get there. He was invited by his friends. He may not have even wanted to be there, but they drug him there. And because of their persistence, because of their passion, because of their, uh, th th their intentionality, they get him there before Jesus they lower him down, and because of their faith, prevenient grace, before the man even identified that he wanted it, he's healed of his transgressions. But let's again, let's take off our Sunday school glasses for just a moment. You're laying there. You're the paralyzed guy. You're in front of everybody. And Jesus says, hey, you got some really good buddies. I mean, they, they went to a lot of work to get you here. So I'll tell you what, your faith is awesome, and your sins are forgiven. You think the guy says, oh, perfect, Jesus, that's exactly what I was hoping for. No, I just envision this. This is how I envision it in my, in, 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 in my mind. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Oh, I'm, I'm forgiven? Cool. Hey, Jesus, I still can't move. We, we superimpose our own expectations on Jesus and we get it wrong so often. You see, this man was looking to have a moment changed, a circumstance. Well, Jesus intended on changing his life and the trajectory of his eternity and to set the stage for everybody else to experience an encounter with Jesus that would affect their eternity. 
Check this out. Look at this. Look at verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, the scribes, said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. I mean, really, truly, only God forgives sins. These Pharisees and scribes are sitting there and instead of embracing Jesus, instead of encountering Jesus and stepping into a relationship with Jesus, they cared more about their religion and their rules and regulations. And what they did is they allowed their theology to drive away an encounter with Christ. How often have we in the church allowed our personal theology, our best guesses of interpreting the Bible, get in the way of a relationship with Jesus? How often has our theology, our idea of what church looks like, our idea of what faith should be like, our own expectations, kept somebody else from encountering Jesus? Instead of saying, wow, this is amazing. The Messiah has come and he has brought with him forgiveness of sins, removal of transgressions. They look at it and say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how it's supposed to be. Uh -uh. You see, for 400 years, we have had established rules and regulations. There's a process here. Okay? You have to go to the Levites. You have to give them a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, and you have to tell them your sins, and they'll present it to the, to the priest, and the, Previ the priest will, will work with the Levite to, 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 par to parse out the, the, the sacrifice and sprinkle the blood, and there's going to be a burnt offering and a blood offering, sacrifices, and once a year, the priest is going to the Holy of Holies. We're going to tie a rope around him, because in case he says something wrong, he dies. We don't want to go in there, because we're going to die too, so we'll just drag his body out, and there's a whole system to this. You cannot just go shaking up my system. This is how we've done it for years for 400 years this is how we've done it these are the rules these are the regulations and they look at it and because it's contradicting what they believe they've allowed it to get in the way of a relationship with Jesus how many people within churches across the world today are keeping people from encountering the one true living God through a right relationship with Jesus because of our own understanding and our religion. I need you to know something. I need you to know something. We're gonna, well, I'm, 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 I'm gonna come back to it. I'm gonna come back to it. Verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, well, guys, why are you questioning this in your hearts? Notice he didn't say anything about their physical bodies. He addresses the, man, the heart of man. You see, we look at the outside, we look at the external. Jesus addresses the inside, the internal. And he says, what are you guys doing with your hearts? I mean, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? In other words, I could just say this, but you don't really know if there's been any change. Or stand up and walk. But I'll tell you what, you guys. I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I love how Jesus speaks in third person. Growing up, my favorite football team was the Philadelphia Eagles. And for a season, Herschel Walker played for the Eagles. And Herschel Walker spoke in third person. Like when they would interview him, yeah, when Herschel gets the ball, it's all over. Herschel can run. Imagine that. If I say, hey, when Andrew gets going, Andrew can preach. Like, yeah. That's just weird. But I love that Jesus does it. It works for Jesus. It wouldn't work for me. But Jesus says, hey, look, the Son of God and the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up. Pick up your mat. Go home. Stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. These religious people that Jesus is speaking to, he speaks right to their heart. And he says, look, I didn't come to build a monument for the holy. I came to establish a hospital for the helpless. You think you've got it all figured out, but you don't. You on the, ex on the external, you may look really good and come across really clean and, and, and pure and like you've got it all figured out. But on the inside, your hearts are hardened. Your hearts are dark. Your hearts are broken. I didn't come to build a monument for the holy. I came to establish my kingdom here on earth. And my kingdom is a kingdom that is interested in building a hospital for the helpless. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. And I need you to know 
That here at Country Bible Church, we are not building a monument for the holy. We are working to create a hospital for the helpless where you come as you are. No pretense. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to come from the right pedigree or have the right background or bring the right Bible or say the right prayer or dress the right way to come in and encounter Jesus. We're not going to judge you as you come in. You come as you are because I believe that when you come in and you have an encounter with Jesus, it's going to change your life forever. And how you came in won't matter anyway. This man came in paralyzed and he leaves and he picks up his mat and he goes home. How he came in didn't matter in that moment. The fact that he encountered Jesus was all that mattered. Man, I love that. We are building a hospital for the helpless here at Country Bible Church. We are going to be a refuge for the refuge. A place where people can come as they are and encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. And you know what our responsibility then as a body is? You see, we get together, we gather for three reasons. We gather to exalt the name of Jesus. We gather to encourage one another. And we gather to equip believers to be fully devoted to Jesus. Encouraging one another. You may come in off the streets and you may be sober one day. Hey, praise God. I'm so glad you're here. You may have been drunk last night, but you're here this morning and today. Today could be your one day. Yesterday you were in divorce court, but you know something's just not right and you came to church and, and your wife came with you and you're sitting at opposite ends of the church. You came to different services, but you know what? Welcome. Today could be your one day. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today could be your one day. When you encounter Jesus, it could change your life forever. That's why we do what we do, to be a hospital for the helpless. I'm not interested in trying to convince the already convinced. They're not here to listen anyway. We laugh, but we know it's true. I'm not interested in people coming in here with their religion. I want people coming with an expectation to have a right relationship with Jesus in all their faults and all their failures, all their expectations, laying their best laid plans at the altar for God's purpose, their, their desire for his will, and being used as conduit to bring people with us. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. He says, look, 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 look. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. This is so contrary to the way we do church today. Not just us, but the capital C church. I mean, we look at it and we say, well, until we know how to pray the right prayer, until we can pray out loud, feel comfortable praying out loud, or until we've gone through enough Sunday school classes, until we've memorized enough Bible verses, until we've sat under pastor and learned enough from, from his messages about theology, and until we've served enough in the church, and until we, until we get it figured out, we don't really have a platform to present the gospel. That's what we believe. That's what we've been taught by churches today, that unless you have it somehow figured out, you don't have a platform to present your, your, your gospel testimony. You've got to have the right words or say the right prayers. That's not true at all. You know, in a lot of churches, they'd say, hey, listen, we want you to be used of God by God for God. And so in order for you to do that, you need to say this prayer. You need to come to this life group. You need to get involved in this Sunday school class. You need to start giving this amount of money. You need to start attending these classes. You need to start serving here and doing that. And church, I'm not here to tell you that those are bad things because everything I just said, we do here at this church. But we don't do them because we want to get saved. We do them because we are saved and we are raising up fully devoted followers of Jesus. That does not mean that you have to go through those things in order to demonstrate the gospel. Do you know that I believe the best catalyst for presenting the gospel isn't your prayer, isn't your words, isn't your service. It is the way you live your life. Why did Jesus tell him to take his mat? Why is that significant? That seems so insignificant. I spent over 30 years on that thing. What do I want it for? And Jesus, I want to follow you. But Jesus doesn't say, come follow me. Jesus says, go home. Go home. Let's take off our Sunday school glasses for just a moment. Let's read the next two verses together and we'll figure out what happens when you go home. Verse 25 and 26. And immediately, as everyone watched, if you don't think people are paying attention to how you live your life, you're wrong. You're wrong. You can say you're a Christian. You can say you go to Country Bible Church. You can say you gave your life to Jesus. But if the way you're living your life isn't indicative of a folly of all the followers of Jesus. Or, or, and listen, and that doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that when you screw up, you confess it. 
Man, I, I probably spend more time apologizing for my mistakes than I do getting it right. As everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Do you notice that throughout the New Testament, and I'll argue most of the Old Testament, that when somebody comes into an encounter with God, the natural byproduct is worship. Worship isn't something you do. Worship's because of who you are in Christ. How then can you come, and I'm not here lecturing you, I promise I'm not, and I'm not judging your hearts. I've got a friend in ministry here in the church that he says, look, when I stand there with my hands in my pockets, you gotta know I'm smiling really big on the inside. In other words, he doesn't feel very comfortable singing songs out loud because he's maybe concerned about his voice or he, you know, it's just not how he grew up. But here's what I know. I'm not judging your hearts. I know this person's heart. I know he loves Jesus and I would never. So what I'm about to say isn't a form of judgment, but I do want to ask, if you have had a life encountering with Jesus that has changed the trajectory of your life forever, how can you come and stand at a celebration service like this? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know football's about to start. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, worship isn't a practice, it's a lifestyle. This man got up and he picked up his mat and he began to worship Jesus. Not only that, but check this out. Check this out. Check this out. Verse 26. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. We have seen amazing things today. And they, because of this man's testimony, began to worship God. So here's what I know. This man, though those things that I mentioned, prayer and life groups and involvement in the church and giving to the church and all those things, those are all important things. They are not necessary for you to share your faith. The greatest testimony that you can ever give is how you live your life. And the reason that I believe that this man picks up his mat isn't because he didn't want to leave his garbage in the middle of the room. I believe he takes up his mat and he walks into town. Let's take our Sunday school glasses off for just a moment and realize they didn't expect this guy to come back. Walk. They didn't go, oh yeah, his friends took him into town to see Jesus and he's going to come back in a few hours and he's going to walk in. No, hey, what's up, man? We thought you were going to come back walking. As he walks in with his mat, you know, they're down there doing whatever it is they're doing, making bread, making tables, making chairs, whatever. And they look up and they, whoa, what? You, you went out on that and now you're carrying it back? What happened? What doctor did you see? And this man says, whoa, no, 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 no. I encountered Jesus. There's a man named Jesus. And, and, and not only did he heal me, my arms and my limbs work. I mean, look at this. woo Like awesome. Not only do my limbs work, but he purified my sins. He sanctified me. He made me righteous before the Father. I don't have to go to the high priest or the Levites anymore. I am in a relationship with Jesus, and it changed everything. And because of his testimony, not in his words, not in his theology, not in his doctrine, not in his holiness classes, not in his college education, not in his Sunday school, not in his service, but because of how he lived his life, people were gripped and they began to worship Jesus. And it all started with one invitation from four friends. Change the trajectory of his life and the entire community. So let me ask you again what I asked you to start with before I lose my voice because I got another service to preach. What, what can result from one invitation? Think about that. What can result from one invitation? I want to present four things to you just from this story alone. In verse 20, we see the first. We see a changed heart. That when you invite somebody to come and encounter Jesus, they can experience a changed heart. That today could be that one day 
where they stopped going from one empty well to the next, looking for answers in desperate search, trying to find themselves in their career, trying to find themselves in their woman or in their man, trying to find themselves in their marriage, trying to find themselves in their success, trying to find themselves in their finances, looking from one cheap imitation to the next, going from one broken well to the next. Today could be the one day that changes their heart. Your one moment might be the very one moment that God uses to introduce himself into their one moment that changes their life forever. The second thing that results from one invitation is a challenge to the holy. It's a challenge to those who think that their religion is going to get them anywhere. The people that would rather throw at you their systematic theology and their approach to religion rather than explain what a right relationship with Jesus looks like. I am not interested in dividing our church or any relationship over doctrine. I'm just not. You're probably all smarter than me, but I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, what you believe about free will versus predestination, it all comes to the same thing. Jesus! We're not going to divide over this stuff. We're not going to allow ourselves to begin to build monuments for the holy. We are going to build a hospital for the helpless. So we're going to challenge religion. We're going to challenge religion hard in our church because religion does not ever save anybody. Religious symbols does not ever save anybody. Religious practices does not ever save anybody. But a relationship with Jesus, a growing and right relationship with Jesus does. The third thing, the third result from one invitation is a chance for healing. And in this story, the healing is a physical healing, isn't it? It's a paralyzed man who his limbs are restored and he's able to walk, he's able to move, he's able to, to use his limbs, his extremities. But in our story, it might be different. You see, this story wasn't written to us. Remember that. The, the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And so this man's story, the parallels are the same in that Jesus changes everything, but it might look a little different. So maybe you're one day, you're one day maybe a physical healing. There's somebody here this morning that you may be here today and Jesus may deliver you from a physical ailment. You have diabetes, he may restore your body. You have cancer, he may eradicate those cancer cells in your body. You have, you have rheumatoid arthritis, he may free up your joints to move freely. You have fibromyalgia, he may deliver you from that and you may no longer walk in pain or brokenness. I believe that he has the ability through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to restore our bodies. But it's so much more than that. A chance at healing may be a restored marriage. You may be here this morning desperately holding on by the fingertips, your nails, not even your fingertips, just the nails. Today may be your one day that Jesus heals your marriage. Today may be the one day Jesus heals your broken heart. The Bible says that he is near to the brokenhearted and he restores, he heals the broken spirit. You may be here this morning and you are so sick and tired of going back to your addiction again and again and again. And you have good intentions. You don't want to struggle anymore, but it's got this power over you. Today is your chance for healing and let me tell you the fourth thing that's a direct result of one invitation. And this is for every one of us. It's a call to go. It's a call to go. Jesus says, pick up your mat, stand up, get your mat, and go. Go to the highways, go to the byways, go to the low-hanging branches. Go to Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Go make disciples of all nations. Go, 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 go. Every one of us has not only an opportunity, but I believe an obligation to go and to present an invitation for somebody to come and experience one day. And your invitation may be that invitation that changes the trajectory of their life forever. And here's what I want to say to those of you who are afraid of the invitation. And I get it. Not all of you. In fact, most of you, you aren't extroverted like me. Like when I come up on stage, this isn't a facade. This is how I am throughout the week. This is how I sleep. My wife woke up at 3 a.m. I, I heard the door open, the light on, and I jumped out of bed. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I can't sleep. I said, why? She said, you. You. 
Okay, I'll see you in the morning. Listen. Listen to me. I understand that for most of you, you are petrified at the thought of inviting somebody to church because you're afraid of the answer. But I want to tell you that you are not responsible for the answer. You are only responsible for the invitation. You leave the answer up to God. The Holy Spirit is the one who gets a hold of our hearts and changes our composition. You're not responsible for saving anybody, but you are absolutely responsible for making that invitation. And I'm going to say something really strong, and I don't mean this to be a convicting, okay? I don't believe this. It's not meant to be guilt, okay? Jesus is not working guilt. How dare we? How dare we keep the greatest message the earth has ever known to ourselves? How dare we? Like, who are we that we think that we have a right to just keep this to ourselves? Next Sunday, (laughs) there's a few reasons to invite somebody to come. We're doing baptisms. I think there's 15 to 20 people getting baptized on this stage next week. You may be one of them. You may not even know it yet, but Jesus is going to get a hold of you and the power of one day, and you're just going to kill. Yeah, look, I don't know what they're all getting wet about, but I'm in. Throw me in, preacher. I'm cool with that. Next week, baptisms. People are going public with their faith. When we can celebrate a football game, we sure as heck had better be able to celebrate people demonstrating their faith and being proud of it. Next week, we're capping off this Power of One series with an incredible special message. I mean, it's, I, I am so excited for next week. I don't even want to give you a, just, nah, I could start preaching right now. I'm so excited. Next week, here's all I'll give you, teaser. Next week is the Power of One Choice. Your one moment may be the one moment that God uses to, to change somebody else's moment for the rest of their lives. Your one invitation may be the opportunity that somebody accepts to come to church next Sunday and hear the gospel presented in a way that they've never heard before that could change the trajectory of their life. So I'm not asking if you're going to invite somebody. I am imploring you to consider who you're going to invite to come with you as your guest next week. Who are you going to bring with you next week? Who? Each one invite one. That's it. That's my challenge. Each one invite one. And I'm going to pray it again. Father, I pray by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would come and move and have your being in us and through us. And as we are obedient to the invitation, I pray that you would give us favor even now. Stir in our hearts. Move in our minds. Direct us into who you want us to invite to come to church next week. Father, prepare them to encounter you. God, I pray against obstacles where the enemy shows up and he closes one door. I pray that we would kick down the next door. I pray that we would get creative and climb up a ladder onto the roof and do whatever it takes to bring people to you, to invite people coming to know you. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for the power of one day and thank you for the power of one invitation because each one of us is here this morning because someone invited us to know you. I love you, Jesus, and I love our church. I invite you to do what only you can do.